Welcome to Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. Do you sometimes feel alone in life with personal and interpersonal struggles and challenges? We'll show you that you are not alone and that you can learn and thrive from your challenges and thereby live a healthy life. Now, here is your host, Dr. Vadisha Patel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. In my private practice as a licensed mental health therapist, I'm often asked to treat individuals, but for one reason or another, I'm compelled to refer them elsewhere. This happens usually when I'm not proficient in a particular area, and I know that I would not be the best fit for my client in order for them to have the best outcome. So one such area is working with children and families around gender issues. The number of individuals that fall into a gender outside of the traditional male-female has increased. And with that come a whole host of challenges for the individuals, their families, their peer group, and society at large. I think it's important that we all have a basic understanding of these challenges. And for that reason, I've brought today's guest to the show. Heather Asian is a licensed mental health counselor in Sarasota, Florida, which is also where I work. She primarily works with the LGBTQIA community and specializes more specifically with transgender and gender expansive individuals. She works to reduce the myths and barriers associated with vulnerable populations in our local community, and I'm excited to have her here to educate all of us, the larger population, on the same. Welcome, Heather. Thank you, Vidisha. I'm very happy to be here. Well, I'm excited for this conversation because there is so much to learn. And I'm actually going to ask you if we could start at the very basics, because for a long time, we would hear the letters LGBT. And now we hear so many more, and um, I think I'd like to start from ground zero, and if you could please um, explain to the audience uh, the meaning of all the different letters that are used, and um, if we could start there, it would be wonderful. Sure, sure. So, yes, the alphabet soup as we we know it, Um, the LGBTQIA++, and there's, there's (laughs) <laughs> There's new and, and bigger words all the time coming out. The vernacular is changing rapidly. Um, so the L would stand for lesbian. Traditionally, the, the G stands for gay. The B would stand for bisexuals. The T is for transgender folks. The Q is um, traditionally questioning. We'll say people that are questioning their uh, sexual orientation or gender identity. It also can stand for queer. Uh, because really, um, the LGBTQ fits under what we would call the queer umbrella. And queer okay. is a very loaded term, as many of your viewers, viewers will, you know, uh, react to it. It's uh, traditionally, obviously, it was a slur back in the day in the 50s and 60s. And uh, it has since become a, a bit transformed, as many of these uh, slurs do, um, to minority populations. And the younger folks of today, and even really my generation, I'm, I'm 48, have taken this word on to varying degrees as their identity. And it's a shorthand, really, um, for this identity. And not, everyone's not comfortable with it. It is very much a, an individual choice. But, for example, I identify as queer. I'm under the LGBTQ umbrella myself. And okay. um, so that's, 
that's kind of where that all, um, you know, that's a loose hand for, for explaining that whole situation. I will say that there's a lot of other identities as well. There's intersex, there's um, asexual, agender, um, pansexual, which um, pansexual sort of fits under the, um, it's, it's similar to bisexual um, in that uh, it, it honors um, well, bisexual people would traditionally be known as people that are sexually attracted to either or both genders, whereas um, pansexual is really more inclusive of, uh, you know, really all genders, because really we're no longer in a binary, not that we ever really were, but we're understanding as a, as a species that the binary does not exist so much for, for sexual orientation, nor does it exist for gender, really. And so that means there's a lot of space in between. And so I look at it like pansexual folks are attracted to uh, a person's soul, their heart. They're attracted to the person, and the gender is sort of secondary to that. Um, uh-huh. And there can be all kinds of configurations within that. But that's, that's just kind of like, you know, getting our feet wet into the pool here. <laughs> right. right. So it in a way, it seems like some of those initials overlap with each other I know you said that the the queer sort of stands as an umbrella of sorts um it can be yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah um the, the, I mean but, they're, they're each separate but there are some overlaps to some degree because again we have to remember that sexuality sexual orientation and gender identity are two different things and that's why sometimes these things get a little convoluted with the um with the LGBTQ community because traditionally, historically, um, we've been lopped together and there's very specific reasons why that is. And yet there's been dissension in the ranks and I won't get into the whole history of that because that's a whole nother topic, but because we have to look at these things as very different, you know, this is, so sexual orientation is, is who do you, who do you go to bed with essentially? That's the shorthand for explaining that one. Who, okay. who do you, who are you attracted to? Gender identity is who you go to bed as. So who, who do you feel you are in your heart? And so those are okay. very different things and they have very different trajectories. And how, um, so how do you start to differentiate that? Um, because, you know, I, I think it, you're right, it does get compli- complicated and people will, when, so people, when they say I'm um, pansexual or I'm bisexual or I'm gay, they are referring right. to their orientation. Who they're attracted to. Right. Who, who that they're attracted to romantically and or sexually. Because, again, those can be split again into different categories. Uh, one thing I'd like to point out, there's, there's been some lovely um, sort of uh, PDFs floating around the Internet for some time now. Um, there was one back in the day called the gender-bred person, like the gingerbread person, but <laughs> gender-bred <laughs> right. person. So it's, it's, a, it's a way to kind of, it'll map it out a little better. A better one right now is called the gender unicorn, which shows you kind of the differences in how people can identify. And that might be something your readers can go to just to kind of get a little bit of a, a mini education on that. But the best way to, to honestly, you know, find out is to ask the person because everyone deserves the right to clarify what their specific orientations are. And, and asking is usually the, the easiest way to, to have them tell you what, what, what they feel, you know, because these definitions can be sometimes, um, not, not often. I mean, they're, they're pretty standard, but I mean, they, people can, 
as things, you know, as society evolves, there's just so many words, and I think it confuses a lot of cisgendered heteronormative folks. And so asking is a good way, or educating yourself by going online is a good way to kind of get some standard definitions. Um, and I'll just throw another word in there. Cisgender, probably, you probably want me to define that as well, I'm guessing. I was just um, about to ask you that very question. <laughs> <laughs> right. So cisgender is basically a name for someone whose gender um, identity matches what they were assigned at birth. So I'll use myself for an example. So I was assigned female at birth, meaning when I came out, the doctor looked at my genitalia and said, okay, she's female, which is what has happened historically for most people. But, um, and I just happen to have a brain that correlates with that. Yes, I agree, I'm female. I have grown up as a female in this country, and that's comfortable for me. Um, and that's my, sex, my gender expression. I, I, you know, I wear traditionally female things and that sort of thing. So um, where we get into, you know, differentiation is obviously with the definition of trans, which, or transgender, which is an adjective, it's an umbrella term, which describes um, a huge range of folks whose gender identity does not conform to what is typically associated with their sex assigned at birth. And this is not new. This is not new information. Uh, trans folks have been around since the dawn of time in various cultures all over um, this is not, they're not new, <laughs> so we want to be really clear about that. Um, and in fact, folks will probably be familiar with the term um, hermaphrodite, which is no longer a term we use, it's not politically correct. Um, but intersex folks are, um, are what the new term is for that. And those are people born with varying degrees of different chromosomal, um, you know, outlooks, different, different uh different sets of chromosomes that don't line up perfectly with the traditional XY and XX. And there's a lot of these people, actually, more so than you would think. I mean, there are co- there's common as redheads, actually. Um, and the problem historically with this community is that the doctors have made these very arbitrary decisions based only on genitalia, which can be very problematic um, because okay. humans are complex creatures, you know. We really are. And so, you know... Um, I encourage you to, to get more education around intersex folks because that, like I said, is, it's, it's not as uncommon as people think. And so that's why I'm saying we've never lived in a totally binary um, gender universe. It just has not, it's not, it's not been that way ever. The reason people feel like it has been and now it's different or somehow, you know, we, we're into a new phase of things with, with people is that it's become more, um, there's more education on the communities. There's finally some information being disseminated. It's not the dark ages. And so right. because of that, folks are freer to come out. They're feeling more comfortable being themselves. But I promise you, historically, these populations have not had that. They've been severely discriminated against. There's been so much myth and mythology around them that to come out would have been absolutely impossible for most people. Um, and many did come out to disastrous results because of, well, the, the serious homophobia and transphobia that our culture has, has um, you know, been putting forth for, since well, the country started, really. That's actually comparable to mental health as well, in the sense that people have had mental health issues for centuries. Um, it's always exactly. been explained away, or the people have the individuals who've suffered have suffered in silence because it wasn't considered normal or okay. So all these things exactly. that um, 
are not the so-called norm in society um, are just sub- submerged somewhere. And um, maybe maybe the world is becoming a little bit more open to hearing uh, people's true feelings about exactly. everything. Exactly. Uh, Indeed. Yes. Yes. So can you just talk a tiny bit more about the intersex then? How is, how is that term used? Is it, is it also an adjective? And um, is yes, it a it's physical? Also an adjective. Right. So, I mean, it just refers to the fact that, you know, our bodies um, are not one size fits all. And it is not as simple as it seems. And so just because somebody is born with, say, a vagina or a penis does not automatically make them um, a male or a female. And I know that's confusing for a lot of people. But because you have to remember, we're complex creatures. You know, we are, we are incredibly diverse, um, you know, creatures. And, I mean, look at, look at nature. I'll use nature as an example. You know, I, I love these nature shows like One Planet and all this, but we're learning, you know, about our, our Earth and, you know, all these amazing species of animals that, um, you know, we, we need to understand and, uh, you know, um, help <laughs> because right. of, of the way the Earth is becoming. We're, we're having to, we're struggling with um, resources on the Earth and, you know, the, 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 the weather and all the different things that affect our ecosystems. So I, I look at these species and I think, well, my gosh, you know, there's hummingbirds, for example. There's, there's like a whole bunch of different kinds of hummingbirds. I don't even know the number, but it's huge. And there's all these different species of hummingbirds. And we don't ever question, oh, well, why, is, why are those hummingbirds different from these hummingbirds or what? You know, they just are. Nature is beautiful and diverse, and so are human beings. And human beings are much more complicated creatures than hummingbirds, I would argue. <laughs> and therefore, they, there's a lot more that goes into their identities. And so um, this is, I mean, that's just maybe a, a, maybe it's a silly analogy, but that's what I look at. It's like we've, we always appreciate the beauty and diversity in nature, but do we appreciate that about our own human species? And, and the answer historically has been no. As a society, we have, there's been so much pushback and backlash into that. And right. uh, I, I'm just saying this is, it's time to educate ourselves. It's time to really understand what's happening because this is, this is human evolution, you know, this is, humans were never meant to stay the same. I mean, you look at literally biologically how humans evolved, and it's been amazing when you look at the origins of man to now. I mean, you know, so we're just evolving more is how I look at it. We're, we're evolving more. Well, that is actually, that's actually a, a beautiful analogy, and it really does make it quite clear, certainly in my mind. Um, And so it provides a lot of clarity. So if we're talking about gender identity, then, so that's how you how you go to sleep. Correct? Um, It is not just male, female, are are there other choices? Right? Well, it's yeah, there are other choices. It's but it's gender identity is who you feel you are in your body in your soul. So you're and I, I want to bring some attention here from a scientific um, basis to this to just how much we know about the transgender community as far as 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 the whys of it, because people will inevitably ask the whys of it. And I want to be really clear in saying this. There is no pathology to being a transgender individual. Yes. Right. There has been, they have been pathologized. I mean, look at the DSM. We've only just taken out gender identity disorder, which was GID, which was in the DSM, you know, 
up until I believe it was 2017, we've only just removed that and replaced it in the last couple of years with gender identity, or excuse me, gender dysphoria. Right. So that's a slightly less pathological term, but it's still got some, some you know, weight to it. Um, and there's reasons for that. But, you know, much like um, homosexuality was removed from the DSM in 70, 71 or 73, I always get those two wrong, I think it's 73, um, much like that was, you know, that was depathologized, and it's taken a long time for society to just really um, understand that this is not a, a defect or a mental health issue. This is simply... Uh, a matter of diversity, um, it's the same way with gender. And so, you know, that's, that's what I want to, you know, bring to people's attention there. There is nothing wrong with, with being on the continuum. There's nothing uh, innately wrong about that. There's no, there's no mental health issues associated with that. Where there's problems and why trans folks often seek therapy is because of transphobia, of the society at large, pushing back and saying, no, you're not okay, because of their I, misunderstandings, you know, that's right. what's happening. So, um, exactly. And I think that's an important point. I want to come back to it in just a few minutes. Sure. We're going to go to a commercial break. So please stay tuned. Okay. We're trying to understand sexual orientation, gender identity, and inequities in today's world. If you have questions, you can email me, Dr. Vidhi Shapatel at drvforkids at yahoo.com. And we will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Dr. Vadisha Patel is a licensed mental health counselor working at Peace of Heart LLC in Sarasota, Florida. Peace of Heart offers individual counseling with children and adults, as well as programs and stress reduction. Dr. Patel utilizes a relationship-based approach to treatment. She is currently accepting new patients. To find out more, visit peaceofheartllc.com or in Florida, call 941-539-1727. Again, that's peaceofheartllc.com or call 941-539-1727. Peace of Heart LLC, managing emotions for a healthier lifestyle. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number four, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. 
Welcome back to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel, and I'm here in conversation with Heather Eslian, therapist and advocate specializing in gender identity, sexual orientation, and gender inequities. So, Heather, we were we started to talk a little bit about um, the mental health and the diagnosis um, right. and the connection between sexual orientation and mental health and I I like the point that you underscored and I want to say I think that sometimes people who are transgender um, have mental health issues but not because of of the transgender but because of the implications of it in society today right Um, right so with that, I actually want to switch gears slightly, but it's still very connected. I'd like to talk about children. I know you work with kids. Um, I work with kids. And I'm curious how there, I, I hear more and more about younger children who are um, identifying with a different gender than what they were born with. Um, right. Sometimes... You know, it used to be said, well, it's just a phase that little Johnny would like to wear dresses and paint his toenails um, and that it will pass. But how young is it that this happens? How common is it? Do you can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. So, um, you know, there there are a lot of myths out there and there's a lot of fear, I think, on the on the um part of parents, obviously, they want to, you know, most parents obviously want to do the right thing for their kid. They want to be supportive. They want their kid to be happy and and, um, evolve into a, you know, to a well-adjusted human being. Um, The problem is most parents have biases, just like all folks in society, because again, we don't teach this stuff in schools. We should we don't teach right. gender identity in schools. We don't teach sexual orientation in schools. We we have such a dearth of <laughs> information um, on ourselves that it, it's really a crisis here in this country. But I won't get too into that. I'm going to just stick to the topic of hand, which is kids. And so kids, let's remember, I mean, we, we've all been children, and we remember what it was like. And the thing is, the myth is that children don't know who they are. How could they possibly know who they are at, at four, at six, at, at 12 even? How do they, right. how do they really know? They're, they're not adults. How could they know? And I would argue the exact opposite. It's actually children who do know very much who they are because they haven't been around long enough to have their, their true sort of beaten out of them, if you will, as adults exactly. Adults, we, we get farther and farther away from our spiritual connection, our, our, our you know, it's it just, it is, it's just the, the way society is, you know, we, we have to conform, we find ourselves having to please other people, we have, so children are not like that, it's especially initially, they come in knowing pretty well who they are, because they're heart-centered, they're, they're connected to heart. Right. And so when people tell me that, oh, no, they don't know who they are, I have to disagree. Now, do we allow children to figure things out? Of course, because they're not adults. So they have to, they have to be able to play and figure things out and experiment, and the, better, the best parenting allows for that play to happen. Because the truth is, I mean, this is why sometimes I say trans people are the key to our liberation. There's so much gender straitjacketing that happens in this country right. particularly, but in, in many countries and many cultures, that, that says, okay, you're, you're born a girl, 
we're going to slap that pink little tutu on you and you're going to, you're going to be a girl. And that's your, you get the pink bedroom with the princesses and, and your brother, he gets the trucks and the, and the blue wallpaper. And, you know, this is how it's going to be. But the truth is we're much more multidimensional than that as individuals. And, and traditionally, I mean, I'll just speak for my childhood. I certainly didn't have, I mean, my parents were, were pretty cool people for the seventies, but they didn't know these things. They didn't, they didn't think about it. They were just doing what their parents did and their parents did before them, which is okay. You have a girl. This is how she should be. And I'm just saying that, you know, kids like to play. They like to experiment. They like to figure out and they like to question and we should allow them to do so. Well, I agree with you completely. In fact, I find that um, young children have the ability to be um, non-judgmental and open to whatever interests them at whatever level, whether it's appropriate, age-appropriate, gender-appropriate. It doesn't really matter to kids because, as you said, they are they are new to this world and they are taking all of it in. So it's actually exactly. the perfect time to educate and to help them or help them have or have them help us understand right. who they are and who they wish to become. Right. Right. I mean, listen to your children. They will tell you. You know, we, we grow up in this world of adultism where adults have all the power and they, they, they tell you oftentimes, well, adults will tell you how you feel as a child. No, you, you know, the kid will say, well, I don't, I don't wear, want to wear a coat. I'm not cold or I'm not, I'm not hungry. I don't want to finish my meal. And adults will say, yes, you are. Just do this or do that. And, and those are subtle and happens to all of us. But those things over time start to teach the child they don't know their own feelings. The adult is in charge. I'm looking to the adult, so they must know better than me. And, I mean, I don't want to get into a whole conversation about adultism, but it happens to all of us. So imagine that for a child who who really does feel like their gender identity doesn't conform to what what they were assigned at birth. So with those kids, we used to say there was this thing, children will... You know, we'll play and they'll, 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 they'll learn and they'll experiment. But the children who really feel they're trans will often, will often insist they're trans, insist, no, mommy, I'm a boy. They're, they're persistent in this. It doesn't just happen over a weekend or a month. It's a persistence that they, they, they display. Um, an insistence, a persistence, and a consistence. So basically those three things were used often to judge, okay, is this child really trans? Um, and and because we've had this bias about kids, that's that was needed. But I will say this: there are kids that do absolutely fall under those gu- guidelines, and they do act like that. They do tell you, but there's plenty of kids that won't or can't. They don't right. have the understanding. They they don't come from a culture that allows that. And kids know things intrinsically. They understand very, very well if their culture isn't going to allow them to be who they are. They get messages all the time, and they're listening all the time. Is it safe for me to say these things? Are my parents going to condemn it? Are they going to say? Because what's their biggest fear as a child? Rejection. Abandonment. Right. We, we, we literally cannot function without our adults. We need to have adults in the world to protect us, to shelter us and clothe us and, and, and feed us. We can't just say, oh, whatever, you don't agree with me. I'm going to hitchhike down this, the road and, you know, find another family. It doesn't work <laughs> like that. So they have to. They have to be in line with what the parents think. And they learn these things at an early age. And I find with trans kids in particular, and actually trans adults as well, there's a deep sensitivity there 
whether that's intrinsic or that's cultivated, it's maybe a little of both, but there's a deep, deep sensitivity to people-pleasing those around them, to not rocking the boat, to not allowing um, other people to... They don't. They want to be a burden to other people. They're afraid of like, oh, if I say these things, it's going to hurt my family or people are going to be you know, confused or upset with me. And so they, they just don't. They don't come out. And so a lot of people don't come out until much later. So, so how do you how you know, how do you foster um, that openness in the child and right. also at what age do you start to see that consistency that persistence and that insistence right so how do you foster it you just you just do your edu- you do your research first of all as a parent you know you're always learning things about child development, I'm sure, um, and, and you're always wanting to be ahead of that curve. Learn about gender. Learn about gender orienta- uh, gender identity. Learn about these things because your child may or may not be, but it, it's helpful so that you can foster a home life that is accepting no matter what because you don't know if your child's going to come out as trans or, or, um, or, or, or if their sexual orientation is going to be different from the heteronormative um, models. Um, so you, you need to just, you know, make sure that you have an inclusive home, that you, that you, you know, there's, there's books you can get. There's all kinds of things now that really foster this development in kids. You know, make sure that the things that you watch on TV are diverse that they're inclusive of other, not just gender and sexuality, but obviously other races. I mean, we, this can be a much more detailed conversation, obviously, if we, but just, just noticing, you know, how you're speaking about things. I've had mothers say to me, you know, my kid was so upset and told me later after coming out that I'd made a comment about two women kissing on a, on a TV program. And it was such a flippant thing to me. I didn't think it had any meaning at all. And to this kid, it was everything. Yes, right. because that's, that's a cue to that child. Oh, it's not safe to come out. Oh, if it's not safe, my mom doesn't like that, or she thinks that's bad, maybe I'm wrong, or there's something wrong with me. I mean, kids internalize everything and assume it's their fault. I mean, that's just, that's just human nature, right? So, right. I mean, we have to be super careful about what we're saying and how we're, how we're allowing these, these feelings to come up, and, and, and these messages have to be there. Like, hey, you know, you can tell me anything. I'm your mom. I'm always going to love you no matter what, because the reality of these kids often is that they feel so completely alone. They feel so alone and isolated and, and just like they are not going to be accepted. And therefore they, they, they don't come out or sometimes they come out and it's to disastrous effects. I mean, um, you know, kids are, these kids in particular, sexual and gender minorities are some of the most um, discriminated against, most abused, most thrown out of their house. You know, they're, they're abandoned, they're, they're uh, emotionally and uh, physically um, abused. There's, there's so many places where it's not safe for them to be who they are. But if it's not safe for you to be who you are in your own home, that's a serious problem. And yes. studies have shown that if there is one person in the family, one adult, who is affirming, that's really, that, that is going to do wonders for anything they have to face in the schoolyard it's going to do wonders for their self-esteem because they're going to know that it's okay. And that is not often the case with these kids. That is just well, not that, often the case. That's actually, that's actually true for all individuals that if you have one affirming adult, I, I work with a lot of kids who've gone through trauma and um, yes. they can turn them, get through that and work through it, but they have to have at least one adult who is affirming in their lives. Um, 
So when we talk about these kids in school, it brings up a whole other point for me, which is that so the home life is one. But what happens when they're in school and you have, say, I've had situations of four and five year olds who um, do not identify with the gender which they were born with. And as they start to show that in school, they're, they it's it's very difficult for the other kids in the classroom and therefore for that child as well. So bullying, um, isolation, other things come up right. in the system. Right. Well, I would argue, first of all, I, I don't think it's difficult for the other kids in the class. I think, you know, I always say this, millennials and everyone born, you know, since them, they have a totally different outlook than, than the people like you and I that were born, you know, in, in, in earlier generations. There is a newness and a freshness to how they approach these things that is unlike any other generation. So I will just say, I'm not so worried about the kids in the right. school. I'm worried about the messages they're getting from the parents. And yes, there is bullying in schools. And yes, uh, I, I think it exists because it comes out of the home situation. The home, they come from homes where it's okay, where it's okay to say these things. And, and, and so then the kids go, oh, well, that mom and dad are doing it. It's okay. Parents or teachers are the same. There's a lot of times where it's not the kids at school that are the problem with, with some of my trans youth. It's the teachers who are actually doing the bullying, if you can believe that, because they're not, again, educated about this stuff and they have their biases just like all humans do. And, you know, but it, it's just super important um, that we start to, to, you know, really educate these schools. So I, um, I do a lot of work with also out youth. I, I do my, um, I shouldn't say do a lot of work with them, but I've had this really lovely relationship where I've been um, doing my, uh, my two um, support groups that I run at their facilities for years now. And also is a beacon of hope in, in, in Sarasota. It is the only LGBT center um, for kids. Um, I believe it's 13 and up, but it might even be younger now to come to and have a safe haven and, and just have a, a place that, that, that's just for them where they can, um, you know, join support groups and go on outings and meet other like-minded kids. And it's just a wonderful organization. And sometimes these kids come from parents that, that don't understand and it's not a safe home. So this could be a lifesaver for a kid. And it is a lifesaver for a lot of these kids. Is it well utilized? In this community, yes, it is well utilized. It, it needs to be better utilized. And 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 again, we have a wonderful director, Nathan Bremer, who's the uh, the executive director of Also right now, and he does a lot of education and outreach, a tremendous amount, to get all these schools uh, in the Sarasota area on board with what's going on. They've done many many trainings to the the, the staff and the guidance counselors and the teachers to explain the very thing I'm starting to talk to you today about. And it's just done wonders. It really has. I mean, we have to have the schools educated on what's going on here. So that's a big piece of it, too. You know, having parents come into schools and say, okay, my kid is is, uh, differently gendered, let's just say. And do you have policies in place for that? Ask your schools because they should. They should have something. We we now have uh, gender guidelines in Sarasota schools. Now, it's still problematic because it's something that can be you know, um, basically implemented on a case-by-case basis for the schools. But but there is more focus on it. There's more attempts to do the right thing. More and more, you know, um, schools have GSAs, which are traditionally known as gay-straight alliances or, or gender-sexuality alliances now they're calling them, which is a place for kids under the LGBT yep. community um, umbrella to get together and have adults supervise their group and talk about these things and have a place for them that's safe. Heather, so I'm, I'm going to... 
just stop right there for a second. We have to go to one more quick commercial break. So don't go away. This conversation is absolutely fascinating and there's so much to learn. So um, we will be right back to Perspectives. I'm Dr. Vidisha Patel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Dr. Vadisha Patel is a licensed mental health counselor working at Peace of Heart LLC in Sarasota, Florida. Peace of Heart offers individual counseling with children and adults, as well as programs in stress reduction. Dr. Patel utilizes a relationship-based approach to treatment. She is currently accepting new patients. To find out more, visit peaceofheartllc.com or in Florida, call 941-539-1727. Again, that's peaceofheartllc.com or call 941-539-1727. Peace of Heart LLC, managing emotions for a healthier lifestyle. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned into Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel. If you would like to reach the show today, please call into 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Patel at drv4kids at yahoo.com. That's Dr. V, the number four, kids at yahoo.com. Now, back to Perspectives. Welcome back to the last segment of our show today. You're listening to Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Vidisha Patel. Please get in touch with me via email at drv4kids at yahoo.com or look at my website at peaceofheartllc.com. If you have questions or comments, I would love to hear from you. I'm here with Heather Uslian, a therapist and a specialist working with transgender children and an educator on gender inequities in our local community here in Florida um, with a with messages actually for all of us everywhere. There's so much to talk about, Heather, so um, I'm hoping we can squeeze a little bit more in in this last segment um, we sure, were talking sure. about we we're talking about the school system and about the teachers and you did make the point that you're not as worried about the other kids um, in the school right, and I right. agree with you I think my um, my reason for saying that was because the quote-unquote other kids are impacted by their parents views as yeah, are all yeah. kids and so it the parents' views feed in to their children, which then sometimes results in bullying or maybe oftentimes results in bullying of the child who is um, uh, not of the same 
uh, thought process, I will say. Identity. Well, and, and here's the thing. I'm not saying that bullying doesn't exist. It absolutely exists in these schools, and these kids do face an inordinate amount of bullying. And so I don't want to give you this you know, idea that it doesn't happen. I was just talking more about the, the, the reasonings for it, but we need to confront it. We need to think about bullying and why it happens and why it's allowed to go on. And, and it has to be something that people are willing to stand up and say, I will not um, allow you to bully my friend. You know, we need allies. Uh, the LGBT community needs allies in this. And there was a great movie I saw recently. Um, it was through the Sarasota Film uh, Festival. Um, it was on, um, I'm trying to think of it. I think it's called Surviving Lunch. It was on uh, sort of similar issues and LGBT issues, but it was about kids getting bullied and it was actually about guns in school as well. It really was talking about what's going on in schools right now. And it, it really, it really addressed some interesting issues. We have to, we have to change society. We have to be able to say, like, we're not going to tolerate you picking on somebody because they're perceived, they're, they have a perceived weakness. Um, it just isn't going to happen anymore. So I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm saying it absolutely happens. But we have to build stronger schools. And that starts with, with parents. It starts with, you know, their parents coming in and saying, look, I'm not going to tolerate this behavior. Something has to be done. We have to teach the guidance counselors how to address bullying and how to address um, you know, dealing with students who who are getting bullied. I mean, there's a lot to talk about there. I don't want to get down a rabbit hole, but yes, there's yeah, there's a lot. So, <laughs> so what about the parents then? Um, how do you work with parents of transgender kids? And so you right. probably have parents who are accepting and parents who are not. So. Indeed. How do you help Indeed. the ones who are and are trying to help their children, and how do you help the ones who are not as accepting? Right. So, um, so yes, a lot of parents, more parents, I should say, come to be in more accepting. Or what, what they usually come in is it's it's they're they're baffled, they're confused, but they want to do the right thing. There, oftentimes the kid will have come out to them, let's just say as trans, you know, and they didn't see this coming. They feel blindsided because, again, the kid has hid it for so long, has been so afraid and lived in fear for so long um, that the kid's been dealing with this issue by themselves for a long time, but the parent is just like, okay, what's going on? So for their, those parents, I say, you know, let's, let's consult. Let's talk about it. I can give you some psychoeducation. I invite them to be part of my loved ones group, which is a, a monthly support group for parents and partners and uh, family members of trans folks so they can come together and get support and, and realize, A, that they're not alone and that this is their journey too and that they have a lot to learn. But um, there's a lot of feelings that go on with this. And so there's, it's complicated. You know, there's sometimes some grief and loss and some different feelings. So we address all that. Um, for parents that are not supportive, it, it's, it's more difficult. You know, sometimes it's a struggle to get them to recognize that this is less about their child's problem, if you will, and more about their problem. And, and I, I hate to say that because I'm not trying to blame the parents here, I promise you. It's just it's <laughs> their attitudes, <laughs> you know, because I, I know the last thing a parent wants to be is blamed because, again, especially moms in particular, have so much guilt and fear that they're doing the wrong thing with their kid. And they're, they're just trying. I see them struggle so hard, and they're trying to do the best they can, and I want to affirm them. And I know parenting is the hardest job out there, believe me. I know that. Um, so I, I, I want to join with them and say, yes, this is, this is hard and, and this, it hurts that you found out like this and, 
and let's let's address some of this stuff, but let's talk about what it is and what it isn't, first of all, so you understand, because a lot of times they come in with all these ideas that just aren't true, and we have to dispel those myths. So that's a big part of what I do is psychoeducation around that. And if you have... Um... A chi- if you have parents who who think that their child might be um, have a different sexual orientation than what they are suggesting at the time, and but the child has not brought it up to them, do you have advice for how parents can talk to their children about this? Yeah, actually, I mean, I I, I think oftentimes parents are afraid to say anything and they think the child's going to come out with it and the child's afraid to say anything because they haven't heard the parents give any feedback around, you know, oh, I, you know, people, people, um, you know, that, that they're affirming people, that they're, that they're saying, you know, it's okay if you're, if you're straight, if you're gay, if you're bi, those things are okay. If you're trans, if you're, if you're cis, those are okay. They've never heard that spoken about in their family, so they're not sure. And so it's just important to sit them down and just have that one-on-one heart-to-heart conversation and say, you know, I've, I've noticed some things lately, you know, let's say they're trans, because that's, like I said, that's what I have most commonly, although I do get folks who are um, children who, who are differently um, sexual minorities, but let's just say they're trans and they, you know, they, they it's, it's up to the parent oftentimes to, to say, because they'll all say to me, oh, I knew something was wrong. I could sense it. The kid was so depressed. Because again, trans kids have by and large huge amounts of depression and anxiety, more so than the general population. They often engage in self-harming behaviors all the way up to suicidality, which we also know occurs in the transgender population, you know, 41% was the last quoted statistics. I think it's higher than that of folks that have attempted um, you know, suicide or are considered suicide. It's prevalent. It's prominent. It's an epidemic in this culture for trans kids in particular. So we need to think about that. So to sit them down and say, look, you know, if there's something going on with you, I, I want you to know you, you can come to me. I'm safe. I will love you no matter what. I can't stress saying that enough to your kid, that, that affirming messages, that, you know, and, and affirming their choices. You know, they want to have certain color hair or they want to dress a certain way. Let's say your assigned female at birth child wants to start dressing more masculinely and you notice this and you notice this. Well, instead of drawing a line in the sand and digging your feet in and saying, no child of mine is going to dress like that, you say, well, what's going on with you? Why do you, why do you want to express yourself that way? And, and yeah, I'll take you to the store and we'll get you what you want because the kid's just trying to be comfortable. They're not trying to defy the parent or be, you know, a rebel. They're, they're probably just trying to make themselves feel more comfortable and they need, need their guidance to do that. So those are the kind of conversations you can start to have. Um, I have a lot of, I have a lot of great links and, you know, resources I hand out to parents when they come to my meetings and stuff and I can direct people. But, you know, education, educate yourself, get on the internet. There's a lot of wonderful sites right now. Um, there's a lot of um, really great organizations, the National Center for Transgender Equality being one of them, um, the ACLU, obviously, you know, uh, there's the HRC. There's lots of organizations that print out information for parents and for, you know, people um, in general around just educating people on these topics. I think that um, I agree with you. I think education is important. I just had a conversation with a with a young man who um, is just having questions about gender identity at the moment. And he said that his parents are are fine with him whatever his gender identity is, and that's what they say. And most of the time, 
that's fine. But then every so often they make comments about, well, yeah. well don't think about dressing differently or don't think about transitioning and it just slips out and so I would caution uh, to not just say you believe it but really work to to believe it Um, because the other thing about kids is that kids kids sense the difference between what you say and what you truly feel oh so much yes so yeah. I mean, I, I think that does happen. To, that does happen a, a, a quite a bit because, as you, as we've both said here, yeah. parents definitely want to do what's best for their kids. They want to be there. They want to support them. They they want right. to provide that comfort um, for their children. But um, parents' own biases do come into play, unfortunately, and sometimes it's hard to overcome those. Well, it is. And it, again, it's their own biases. They're probably subconscious. They're not even aware of it. Um, it's their own upbringings. But remember, actions speak louder than words. We all know this as, as former children. You know, you see your parents doing something and they tell you, no, don't do that. Actions always speak louder than words. Make sure your actions are supporting your words. Because you're right, words are just words until there's actual, you know, behavior changes behind them. But again, that's where they need to go. They need to, you know educate themselves. I mean, I can't stress that enough. Coming to a support group, learning about this stuff, being curious about it, being open-minded about it, it's so important because the truth is, if, if I can leave you with anything, it's believe your children. You need to believe when they tell you these things. And, and, and you know, if it challenges your belief system, then you need to get work around that, not them. That's right. the thing, you know? Yes, exactly. Now, I know we don't have too much time left, but I do want to talk about transitioning for a child from one gender to another. So, um, mm-hmm. how how sh- how would a parent or a family deal how what how is the best way? Is there a best way um, to handle that desire? How do you know? How does the child know that they definitely want to do that? Because that's a very serious process. It is. It is. Um, I would say, first of all, it's, um, it, it, is, it is a serious prospect, but um, allowing them to just be comfortable sharing the information is the first thing. Allowing them to dress the way they want to dress, for example, or express themselves the way they want to is important. That's more the social transition piece. You know, okay. we, don't, um, we don't put children on hormones. You know, that's not something that can happen until they're usually 14, 15, 16 before they can go on what's called HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy. But there's a lot of conversation that happens before then. And again, I'll stress this. Each person is an individual. There are no two trans people that are just like, just like there are no two cis people alike. They come to their realization in their own time. They have their epiphanies in their own time. And they decide what they want to do with that in their own time. And that can involve medical transition, and sometimes it does not involve that. Sometimes it's social transition. But there's, there's a lot of room we have. That, that's why I think therapy is so important or getting some kind of guidance or counseling is important because a good gender therapist is going to, is going to create a safe place for the kid and the parents and they're going to allow them, because the thing is, we can't tell you. It's not like we can say, oh, yes, you're definitely trans or you're not. Yeah, we have <laughs> guidelines, and we can, we can speak from experience, but it's their journey. And so we have to just meet them where they're at. It's not a push. It's not a pull. It's 
it's let me hold your hand while you're doing this. Let me, let me, um, let me help you with this. Not, not tell you, you know, I can't, I can't, um, I, I, it's, it's just more organic than that. I don't know how to explain it. But as far as actual transitioning, there are steps. There are things that we can talk about. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much I, I want to get into because I know we don't have a lot of time, but that's something that, that can be taken on a step-by-step basis, you know, and we can look at that and we can make sure it's right for that child. And, and sometimes you just know with a client, you just know the story is, is really, you know, just there and it's boom and it's in your face. And sometimes it takes time to tease it out, figure out what's really going on. Maybe they're non-binary. Because the reality is there's, there's other identities, like I mentioned earlier, not just, you know, transgender or uh, cisgender, uh, male and female, but there's also non-binary or gender fluid. And those are different. Those folks have different needs about how well, they need to express their gender. So we have about a minute left. Can you talk a little bit about yes. non-binary in a minute? <laughs> right. So non-binary or NB um, is just, it's another designation. It's, it's folks who often... This is just one definition, but often don't feel male or female, or they and they're somewhere in between. Maybe they're androgynous, what have you, or they feel some days they're more masculine, some days they're more feminine, and they want the fluidity to be able to to uh, act accordingly, to to experience their gender the way they want to. And it's harder for people to sort of embrace the non-binary folks because, again, we are a society that loves the binary. We love black and white. We love things that make sense and fit into logical little boxes. But but that's not the way it works for people. It's just not how it works. Right. So well, we have to step I back appre- and I say, appreciate- okay. I, I appreciate yeah. your trying to fit all this information in. I think we're going to have to do another show another day to continue the conversation. Um, sure. This is wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today on Perspectives. I've been talking to Heather Eslian. She's a therapist. She's a specialist on the challenges of transgender youth and the inequities faced by these vulnerable populations. Um, I appreciate the time you've taken to start to educate us and the message really is to go out there and and educate yourselves and be open. Um, so this is Dr. Vidisha Patel, your host for Perspectives. I look forward to being back with you next week for another edition of this show. Feel free to email me at drvforkids at yahoo.com with any questions or comments. Thank you, Heather, and everyone have a wonderful week. Until next time. Thank you for listening to our program this week. Another edition of Perspectives with Dr. Vidisha Patel can be heard next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until we talk again, have a lovely week.